showing up, merely showing up versus showing up with intention and how we spend our time and the benefits that can come with it if we're already spending our time doing it. And merely showing up is not enough. It's a waste of our time because again, we have limited training time. We have limited lifetime for this and merely showing up means you're not going to get the results. You're only merely going to get the results and you can go through the motions for sure. And for many in the beginning, they improve, but at some point they will be unfulfilled and they will move on. They will move on to a different sport, a different endeavor, and a different hedonistic pursuit because they're not showing up with care and thought and intention. Hi everyone and welcome to the Weekly Word Podcast. I'm Chris Hout and Coach and this is episode 157. And today I would like to open from a different perspective. I started this podcast four and a half years ago on a belief that a conversation with my athletes about typical training questions and insights would be helpful to a larger audience. At that point, a larger audience meant 75 to 100 people. I had noticed that the questions my athletes asked were also the ones I would get throughout the endurance community. And so the Weekly Word podcast was born. Today it has grown to many thousands of you listening in on this conversation from around the globe. I am so thankful for this. But this growth in the podcast has also allowed me to grow as well. It has helped me clarify my mission, define my purpose to bring out the endurance athlete within all of us, the one I believe we are wired for, the athlete that lives deep inside all of us, because that is how we survived from an evolutionary standpoint. We are designed to be endurance athletes. So much of our physiology has been optimized for this. And so when we turn those signals on, it lights up our entire personality, our human being, and allows us to shine, not only in better health and fitness, but in thinking, in productivity, in creativity, in social support, in energy to give others, and most importantly, in love for ourselves and the world interacting around us. The neurochemistry and this physiological cocktail that is produced from our endurance athlete activation is the most powerful sensation any of us can have. Flow state, yes, but the physical and mental and spiritual flow state is even more meaningful and one I believe remains understudied in brain science. I've been fortunate over the years of my multiple athletic careers to have some incredible coaches. What they have given me was quite powerful. Mindset, sports psychology, grit, discipline, perseverance. But more importantly, they showed me effective coaching, mentoring and guiding versus directing and telling, allowing me to learn instead of being taught, allowing me to fail versus showing me how it's done. And this is how I coach today, with a focused approach of working with the athlete, guiding them, standing with them to navigate their potential. I never won anything in swimming, not a national championship, nothing, nothing at an international level. I was that utility guy. 
I did things very well just below that top tier. But I did win something. The learning from those coaches, mentors, and friends. Focus on your potential and your best outcomes will unfold. They'll develop for you. My swimming career allowed me to learn, but in endurance sports such as triathlon and ultra running, this allowed me to shine. Understanding that the competition is always with my potential. That is my number one goal for all of you, my athletes and you the listeners, to somehow, in some way, guide you to reach your potential in this world of endurance athletics. One we both know you have within you. It is not easy. But together, with guidance and mentorship, I know you can achieve it and be proud of every ounce of energy and sacrifice you put into this training, this sport, this journey. There is not a day that goes by I don't have this discussion with athletes. Stop focusing on an ideal or others and what they are doing. Focus on your own improvement, your own potential. If that continues to improve, you will achieve more than you ever imagined and be so proud as well. In many years from now, you will not remember whether you went an hour faster in that 50-mile run, but you will remember you trained and raced to your highest potential, and that will leave you deeply satisfied. After coaching for 25 years, being an active competitor in these sports for 40-plus years, I have a simple overarching theme to pass on everything I know that has been given to me generously over the decades about endurance training and mental performance. With that, I always try to challenge you, the endurance athlete, all the time to continue to reach for your highest athletic potential to be that version of yourself. I will push for nothing less since I believe fully in your success. It is my intention to guide you along this inevitable path, your path, in bringing out that curiosity and performance you are capable of, your potential. It is evolved into a simple quote of Goethe. Treat a man as he is and he remains as he is. Treat a man as he can and should be and he will become as he can and should be. That is potential. That has potential written all over it. Reaching Endurance Potential. Today we dive into parts two and three of the CIP that we have been discussing. The CIP, Clarity, Intention, Purpose. We will take on a similar format to the purpose episode in that I will first dive into intention and its meaning within that CIP and how it relates to everything we do as endurance athletes and actually in everyday life as well. We have discussed purpose. The next step is clarity, the path towards achieving the purpose, along with the goals that we set along the way to validate, adjust, and improve upon our path towards our purpose. Goals are mile markers along the great highway. They show us where we are, A, moving along, and B, on a highway versus a detour, a side road. Clarity is the plan, the going from where you are to where you want to be. And important here is that clarity is also about alignment, the ability of the athlete and the coach, in our case, 
to get on the same page about the plan. The plan is the training, is the prescription. In the context of clarity, the plan, in order to have a healthy understanding of the path we, athlete and coach, are taking to achieve the desired outcome. This clarity is important so that there's little room for confusion or delays. Alignment is important for the athlete to truly execute the plan without a doubt. You don't want to be second guessing or questioning what the plan is or that individual workout is when you're out there doing it. Clarity is also vital in order for the athlete, us in most cases, to show up with intention. Once we have clarity, it allows us to keep the mind clear. <laughs> There it is again, clarity, clear. Since our training and maximizing the limited time we have requires focus, clarity tells us where and when to put our attention. When the path is clear towards our desired outcomes, the mind doesn't have to wonder about what to do or what to do next. Clarity aligned with purpose answers this. Thus, our concentration tightens, narrows, Motivation heightens, extraneous information gets filtered out. We can also push further into our challenge skill sweet spot, a spot where learning and adaptation accelerates and yep, you guessed it, flow comes into play. Concentration, motivation, focus, and our challenge skill levels are all flow triggers to help us to get into flow. Nothing new to any of you. Just think of how we are maximizing our limited training time then. In a sense, clarity gives the brain priority list, which I go into later on, lowering cognitive load, our brain power needed, and telling the system where to expend its energy. You can now show up with intention, the energy and focus you need in order to achieve the objective. That is intention, the energy and focus you bring daily to the limited time you have to train aligned with what the objective is. Clarity allows for an objective, clear approach regarding intentions and execution. Since purpose is overarching and clarity connects you to the outcome in a practical manner, intention allows for you to bring a non-distractive, and clear mind to the work, to the training. It is similar to purposeful practice or deep work. Since other factors are not distracting, should I be doing this or should I be doing that? Why am I doing this? All doesn't come into play anymore. Intent is an easier path channel to fulfill. Intention is what motivates athletes to do what they have to do even if it means pushing them outside of their comfort zones. And most often, especially if it pushes them outside of their comfort zones. That's that challenge skill sweet spot, remember? Intention is purely mental, has nothing to do with talent, skill, or ability, which is why intention is such a key driver to the athlete's mindset. Anyone can apply this. Intention, this is what you do. The endurance athlete bring to every workout your deliberate and focused athlete self. This is how you show up. 
This is how we show up, how we execute the workout, how we look at ourselves daily as an athlete. Remember, the training plan is the path, but how well you are on that path is the execution, intention. How do I intend to execute today's training best as I can in order to maximize the limited time I have and because I went pro in something other than sports? Simply put, intention is also how you show up as your athlete self in other areas. Intentionally spending time with family means you have better, clearer intentions when you actually can train again. For example, if you're on vacation with your family. Intention is your desire, mindset, discipline, resilience, and fortitude to achieve your purpose. Your daily focus and attention, which brings about action, and many days, weeks of action brings about habits. And habits accelerate you on the path towards your purpose. As I've mentioned on this podcast before, there is another level beyond execution. Showing up with more than the minimum might turn the next workout into more than just training. When we show up with intention, when we're extending ourselves because we choose to, we create space. The space to own the work, to personalize it, to create and to turn it into more than getting by. Immersing ourselves versus just attending the workout. Working in versus just working out. Executing training we're proud of is quite an alternative than to be seen as not optimizing our potential. It should be a transformative experience for you as an athlete and as a person. Injecting meaning and purpose into your training, therefore allowing your desired outcome to be a human experience, not just an athletic one, that is bringing intention to it. And spending our days working on our potential, what many may call human work, is far more appealing than hoping to do as little as possible or getting by without intention. How do we improve our intentions? Process saves us here. As the quote goes, process saves us from the deficiency of our intentions. If we're struggling with intention, process is the structure that can keep us moving forward. So how do we go about our day, our training with intention? Here are five steps of the intentional training priority list, allowing the brain to simplify with a priority list but also an action list of steps to prime ourselves for deliberate practice, for focused training, for thoughtful learning amidst the training time. When swimming, this was a daily journal for me, just for training intentions, observations, lessons. For triathlon and ultra running, it was my process before closing my eyes at night. How do I want tomorrow to go? What are my intentions? These days, it's in my morning journal. I write out my intentions for the day, every day. Not just training, but overall. I recap yesterday and work through how I would like today to unfold for me, not to me. So step one, anticipation. What's the plan for today's training session? Or tomorrow's, if we do this at night. Visualize it, play it out in your head. Write it out, see it, anticipate your actions. Step two, 
preparation. What will I need? How am I prepared logistically? Environment, location, terrain, gear, etc. Also getting into that proverbial phone booth and changing from Clark Kent to Superman, from my working or family self to my athletic self. It's a different persona. It sets the mind mindset. My athlete version is now coming forward. What can go wrong in this workout? And when it does, how am I still showing up with intention? How am I growing? How am I falling forward, as I like to say? That's in preparation. We're preparing for all the situations that this workout can bring about. The third step is action. The workout itself. Start deliberate, focused, but yet clear, relaxed. It's freeing, powerful. You create flow. Lose yourself in yourself. Working in versus just working out. Motivation, concentration, challenge, skill, threshold, channeling energy. Fourth step is completion. Care for body. Reward yourself beyond the dopamine hit. What can I take from this session and grow into the next? How can I make this better? Maximize my time more. What systems can I put in place to make the step one anticipation and step two preparation even better in order to implement better actions? They feed on each other. Each workout needs to have a beginning, a middle and an end. It's a process. Showing up with intention sets clear goals for each session, allows you to focus on finishing the workout effectively, the desired outcome. What does this workout entail? What are some key markers you're looking to extract from this session? As we have said, intention is how we show up. It's what I talk of as being your future self in the now. Your future athlete self can be lived out in the now with intention via the proper mindset. It's who you want to be in the now. As humans, we have a unique ability to change in the now. Our mind can be who we want to be in the now. And our intentions are how we connect that into action. As Stephen Covey says, begin with the end in mind. All right, David, we'll back again. Here we are in a conversation. Before we jump into the actual content of intention and clarity, any fun notes from this week? See anything ridiculous? Good. You caught me off guard there. That's good, though. Um, fun notes? Like, what do you mean? Like, fun, funny stuff? or Yeah, some fun color from your life. Okay, here's a really random one. I saw a French bulldog and a baby Bjorn this morning. It's little little paws were out front, just like hanging out, just doing you know, French bulldog things. Goggles <laughs> on or no goggles? No goggles, but in a year or two, we'll probably be there. Yeah. <laughs> a stroller, or was it somebody pushing a, a, a jogger? A dog in a stroller is more common in my neighborhood. I'm in between Golden Gate Park and the Presidio in San Francisco. But yeah, this was literally a baby Bjorn, a like chest mounted strap system to retain the dog in its little upright position. And it made me very happy. 
Awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. No, no, it's um, on my behalf. It's been a pretty um, busy week with uh, upping the training again as we approach March, given that, you know, a 21 mile swim in a couple of months, I'm going to have to have the fitness in order to be able to go long. And so because I don't have that flexibility now, it's more about getting the speed, which is opposite the way I usually would train. Usually I would think about going along and then adding the speed component, but it's sort of cold swimming in Donner and Tahoe and the Bay right now. And so I'm focused on technique and speed, and then we'll go longer and longer as I let go of technique and speed. And what that means is that when you have that set up, the technique aspect that you can just take your mind off of the swimming or the movement in this case, and just focus on energy conservation, output and steady um, swimming. In, in, in this case. And so it's, it's going to be interesting to see how the training goes over the next ooh, 12 to 16 weeks is sort of the key time because it's going to transition me into open waters, uh, Lake Sonoma, Donner Lake, Tahoe, in order to get ready for 21 miles. And a good plug for the Lake Sonoma training camp for your triathletes or for any triathlete who aspires to be better or yeah. more plugged into that world. Yeah. And when is that, April? 22nd to the 25th. And it's limited number of spots. So there's 16 slots only. And just like the theme of the past year, people coming back from last year who were signed up from last year obviously have first dibs and choice on that. But otherwise, uh, we have about five slots available currently. And yeah, it would be, it's going to be a fun four days, a lot of learning, a lot of, we're going to be testing and different than usual. We're not going to be lactate testing. We're going to be field testing as a group, which will be fun. We will be doing some pool time and some open water swim time. Of course, we'll do plenty of cycling. There's a great trail run on Lake Sonoma as many people know, with the uh, infamous Sonoma trail race there. And then um, plenty of cycling on the old Santa Rosa course, but which was now, which will now be part of the Sacramento Ironman California course. But yeah, and, and overall, just it'll be, a, most people walk away from those camps less about, oh my gosh, that was so exhausting, such a big weekend of training, and more about wow, I am armed and educated now in order to put my best training phase um, into action going forward. So I have a question about ultra swimming and yeah. in cold water, no less. Okay. This is a really worthwhile story. Uh, I was on a second date or a first date with a uh, polar bear swimmer and, or she would just call it a bay swimmer. And, um, she wanted to show me one of those clubs by aquatic park. It wasn't dolphin. It was the other one. And South yeah, South end. And, um, you know, for those not familiar on the bay side of the golden gate bridge, there's a nice little protected area where a lot of triathletes go and do their open water swimming and it's relatively protected. Uh, and there's not a lot of waves, but a seal or a sea lion will occasionally come and hit you and it terrifies people. And it's very cool. 
and there are these two little clubs. <laughs> it's very cool. It's very, very cool, cool that it terrifies other people, not you. I mean, I, I like to think that if a seal hit me, I would take it in stride and be like, okay, this is your area. And <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, to clarify there, it's when the seal hits you, it's not like it's going, hey, I'm a seal. Let me identify myself and introduce myself. I come in peace. It's Oh my gosh, what was that and what just hit me? <laughs> yeah. And I hear it's like a sledgehammer sometimes. Because well, it depends they're... on how it hits you as well as uh, you're you're more concerned there about sea lions because they're nasty. They oh, can yeah. really do some serious damage and they do come in occasionally into aquatic park. But most open water swimmers in the bay, they swim out of aquatic park and mm -hmm. they're out in the bay bay. And therefore, sea lions are quite more frequent there and it can be a nasty exchange experience with them yeah <laughs> took a photo of one the other day on one of my runs and also saw a pod of dolphins so busy times in that area mm -hmm. and so she wants to show me south end club uh, she loves hanging out there and so um, she doesn't have her key. And so she <laughs> rips off her shirt. She's got a sports bra on, totally decent, no problem. Um, takes off her shoes and says, I'll be right back. <laughs> Goes in the water. <laughs> and then two minutes later, this soaking wet, like smiling, shivering girl <laughs> opens up the door of the club and lets me in. And I'm like, I don't think I'm ever going to have this good of a date ever again. <laughs> So she was, we became friends and she's just a fascinating human being. So, um, so here's my question. How come you never got into the cold water swimming? You just answered it. <laughs> it's cold water. <laughs> I don't have enough meat on my bones. And so many mm. have also wondered how I'm going to swim 21 miles or 10 hours in Tahoe in 67, 68 degree temperature. And I have the luxury this year over the next few months in putting on 15 pounds. So a different task for Emily that she usually doesn't have to struggle with, <laughs> but instead focusing on getting me to put on weight, which is not an easy thing if I'm still training the way I'm training, which with a coast ride next week and the swimming that I'm doing, and then obviously plenty of trail running as well to keep some sort of warmth, fat, extra weight on me is not an easy task. So we're thinking uh, more along the lines of a fourth meal a day, up in the calories to about six to 7,000 calories a day, which in my normal training is around 5,000. Um, that's normal. But if I'm getting ready for an Ironman, it quickly jumps up to seven to 8,000 calories a day. And back in the big days, um, it would be more like 10,000 calories a day. So I have to see what my body at 51 responds to versus the body of 35, 36, 30, 28, and so forth, where I could just eat a ton and still perform at a high level. I don't think I'd be able to do it the same way. I, I'm just gotten a little bit more sensitive to clean, wholesome foods, how my body absorbs it. I can tell now already the differences between, you know, when I have pizza and beer versus... Yeah, that's perfect. That is so perfect. I love that. Did you just get a flat tire? Yeah, my freaking tire just exploded. <laughs> that's, that's so awesome. That means you got a flat tire while not even being close to your bike. 
not having touched it in the last 30 minutes. Uh, on a That's good. Call. That's good. That's real good. So yeah, so absorbing the calories these days is just, it's a different question just because I've gotten used to a different type of um, nutrient platform. Gaining mostly fat or some muscle in the plan as well? It's a good question. Um, the muscle isn't going to keep me warm. I figured as much. Okay. Well, in that case, I can't add any value to your life. Gaining muscle is what I did for years quite effectively. But And I have plenty of people always offering to give me their fat. Yes. <laughs> well, maybe you can work out a 1031 uh, tax efficient exchange or something like that with them. It is a season. So, <laughs> well, I can't wait to see fat, Chris. That's going to be um, exciting. So, Yeah. I have a few friends that are looking forward to that too. You mentioned in your intro that the competition is with your potential, not with a leader, not with the time, not with the scoreboard. Or with an ideal, with an ideal too. I mean, we all create an ideal in our minds of what we should be. And you sit in judgment of that when you don't achieve it. Um, and it's something so far out there, but we've created a narrative and a story around that, that this is who we should be, the ideal. And it might be the ideal in comparison to somebody else. So it might bring those two concepts together in competition with others or an ideal. But that's the, the challenge, right? Our potential is N1. It's only us. We can only improve us. And what the ideal is is something that we've created. It's a story. It is truly a belief, something we hold to be true. This ties into a theme we talked about on a recent episode about letting go. And the question is, how can an athlete more thoughtfully set their intention, which we'll get into, well, you already introduced intention. So how can an athlete more thoughtfully set their intention to let go? set their intention to let go. Now, you talked about a um, an ideal. And I think for a lot of our athletes who are very type A and have huge pressure that they apply to themselves, they inadvertently are suppressing their ability to reach their potential. And it's in letting go of the outcome. It's a good day to die um, that you you know, everyone wants to attach to something, let's say. So instead of attaching to, I'm going to go out there and go as hard as I can and, and in the process, not do as well as you could because you're just squeezing so tightly. If you just relaxed, um, then you would have a better performance. How do you explain that to athletes? Well, for me, it's a conversation I had with an athlete this morning in Europe, and that is expectations, right? If you create the proper expectations. And there's a very delicate line in expectations. Sometimes ex expectations can crush us because again, they're tied to an ideal ideal that does isn't achievable. And we almost put more obstacles in the way of our path when we're looking for expectations or trying to achieve expectations that we're usually could possibly achieve C or, or um, attached to a path to get there. When we create the expectations too high, again, like you said, we get tight and the path narrows and our options narrow, our perspective narrows. And again, we sit there 
with judgment of ourselves that we're not achieving, that the path is no longer as smooth and as clear as we like it to be. The other thing is what we've talked about with expectations and intentions and how that ideal sits out there. When we, no, I lost my train of thought. Hmm. It may come back to you. Forgot it. That was Um, a really good direction you were going in. I think this is a really profound point that I haven't heard explained well by anybody. mm -hmm. How to walk that thin line. On one hand, you can show up to a workout. And let's say it's a more intense workout or a longer workout. You can focus on pace. You can go into your body and you can focus on the muscles contracting in your position and how it feels and how your breathing connects to your stride. And But even doing that sometimes, you just get so obsessed that you forget that there's this whole other ceiling. Um, there's this whole other additional level of potential that you that it's there and how do you how do you move the chess pieces around so that there's an opening so that you can reach that well again potential right and uh, the challenge lies in what you put on those expectations and if you're looking to progress further and not look at the outcome and the challenge is is always having an expectation that I must achieve the outcome to therefore then validate why I am doing the training or that I am moving forward. And if you flip that and say, I don't need an outcome to validate that I'm moving forward because I am doing my best in the now, I am moving forward. I am learning and that the outcome happens automatically if I continue to move forward because I'm applying my potential and I'm applying my best to the current situation. I had this conversation this morning with that athlete trying to reach certain interval times in his 5k repeats. And he has been getting quite frustrated in trying to run three miles quite fast and he just can't do it. And of course, it starts out with saying, you know, the training isn't supposed to, the intervals isn't, aren't supposed to be achievable. You're training in order to make them achievable. If they were achievable now, it wouldn't be training. It would be more like exercising because you know you can achieve the outcome. But we grow as we sort of expand our ability to get closer to, in this case, the interval. In the other case, to our expectations, to the ideal we're looking to become. But we can't restrict ourselves on that ideal. And that's that delicate line that I talk about. If that ideal is too far off and too unrealistic, we're going to constantly be validated by the lack of not achieving it, that then we lose the motivation. But if we continuously work on our potential and improving by 2x, by 1.5x, by 1.1x, we are on the path towards 10x, right? There's only one way to go, and that is taking that first step on the path. But the beauty of working with potential and using that as our finish line, as our motivation, as our competition 
is it allows us to focus solely on how I am improving. What progress am I making? And if I am making progress in some sort of way towards where I'm heading, then I will get there. How and when we've already talked about, that's, that's our path. That's the journey. And there's no guarantee on how you will and when you will get there. But you will get there because you're moving forward on the path. Does that help explain that thin line? It's it's interesting because there are so many nuances, and I suppose anything this rich and profound is going to be laden with nuance. Yeah. Um, on one hand, you have a goal, which is beyond your capability, and then on the other hand, you are not measuring yourself by that goal. You're measuring yourself by something far more within you, and it's the ability to create that separation in your mind uh, between what you want and what you're going to attempt to do. Yeah, but not. Let's not forget. It's not on. It's not capability, like you just said. That you're currently not capable to do it. That's different than something that you have not. That is not realistically achievable. Right. What did I see the other day? It's got to be hope equals will and a way. And will is our goals, right? Will is what we want. And But you have to see a way to get it done. You have to see the path on how to get it done. Now, oftentimes, the way is past experiences where we've been successful before and therefore can take that knowledge and apply it to our will, and that gives us hope. We have done something on the far boundary of what we deem possible before, whether it's going from a 5K to a 10K, from a 26-mile run to a 50-mile run, from a half Ironman to an Ironman, something we have done successfully in the past that has shown us that we can do the some achieve something on the far end of what we deem is possible. And we can then project that forward with our will, with the goal. That's hope in this definition. And I think that's important to keep in mind that those steps, they're not guaranteed out there. It's not guaranteed that we will achieve that thing on the outer edge of what we deem possible. We're constantly looking for guarantees on how to get it done. And that's what we come across a lot in our coaching. They want the athlete wants a guarantee. Well, if I do this, will I achieve said outcome? No, there's no such thing as a guarantee. And you shouldn't be starting this journey with a guarantee with an outcome in mind. You should be starting this journey with a curiosity and a passion and hope that you will achieve your desired future outcome. And what I was saying before is what often happens with potential and that thin line is if the goal is too far out there and we start creating obstacles in the way, it's what I would call manipulation. And what that means is we all have our path. We will get there in along our path, along our journey. But when you start doing it from a tight perspective, like you just talked about earlier, then we're manipulating how we're on the path. We're trying to affect it too um, specifically 
And then it's no longer a path that unfolds for us. It's us trying to make the path unfold. And there's the, the big difference. That's the what I call the manipulation. And it's another concept I was reading about the other day is called positive present, right? You want to be in the sweet spot of a positive present. That means you have positive, good past narrative, right? You believe in yourself. At the same time, you have an exciting and compelling future. Hope. So you have good past experiences plus an exciting, compelling future hope. That means you're in a sweet spot currently in the positive present that allows you to push your potential, to push you further than you've gone before because you have a belief and a hope. You put those two together in the present, you can have pretty positive experiences with regards to training, with regards to work, with regards to family in general. But we're talking in a training perspective. It allows you to let go more because you have belief from the past and hope in the future because you've done something before and you can see a path on where it will lead to let go, to just do your best right now. And on those intervals that I was talking to the athlete about, it's like, let's just say he's supposed to run his 5k in, you know, 21 minutes, right? Sub 21. And He's struggling and he can't get there. And he's even aborted a few times because he's been so frustrated. It's like the more you focus on the outcome, the number, you will not get there. This is about maybe going 22 this time. That's fine. You did it clean. You did it focused. You did it with attention, with intention, and you feel good about your effort. That's good. Close the book. Be done with the workout. Next time it might be 21 45. It might be 2136. It's not about achieving some beautiful number and then what? It's more about who am I becoming in the process of achieving the outcome? We've talked about this on the podcast. It's not about the outcome. It's about who you become in the process along the way of achieving said goal, said outcome. And that learning, that power, that place only propels you further forward in the positive present because you continue to have good past experiences two, three minutes ago into a future I can see myself progressing and you continue to stay in the moment. I loved the part about not trying to manipulate the unknown path ahead of you. You're going to be on a path. I I would look at it as a train on tracks and anything you do to try to force it off that path by manipulating it to be this, this path you imagine, this nice, beautiful straight line of progression and you're going to hit your time goal is the old line. If you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. <laughs> exactly. And it's, it's back to our type A personality, right? We're so often told you can manipulate your path. That's your subconscious and your conscience, right? Because your subconscious, your soul, knows what path you're on. It knows the answers already. But we allow our thinking brain and the ego constantly to get in the way and think it can control it. Whereas the higher mind just sits back and goes, dude, you're, you're going in a certain direction anyways. You're going to end up there. And it's like what you resist persists, right? You can do this with suffering or 
we can just do it the simple, painful way. Wow. But that's the bigger point and allowing ourselves. And again, athletics and training is an opportunity to practice these things in a different person. We don't have to apply it to all our lives, but we have this little window every day to practice these skills. And that's what I love about the athlete self and the athlete version of ourselves. We get this hour, hour and a half, two, maybe longer on the weekends daily to be somebody different, but see if that works and how that then can bleed into the rest of our lives. You talked about goals being the mile markers along the great highway. And I love the metaphor thinking of highway one, we're going on the coast ride next week and we're going to ride what? 130 miles a day for, um, five days. And, you know, on, some days are going to be a little longer, fine. And some of that's going to be extremely hilly. And if you've, you know, for those who haven't been on Highway 1 in California, the road that hugs the coast most of the time, uh, tons of uphill, tons of downhill, tons of rough terrain, tons of wind. And I think that's a really healthy metaphor for clarity that you you have no choice, right? Uh, one way or another, whether you're chasing a 5K PR or a 50-mile PR or um, or just want to do a 50-miler, uh, your your progression is not, hey, we're going to wake up in, in San Francisco and we're going to go to sleep in, in Big Sur or whatever it is. Um, we are going to have this incredibly circuitous route. You don't know what it's going to be until you've actually done it. And therefore... It's this great metaphor for, well, I don't know if it's a great metaphor, you tell me, but it is nice to continue to plant the seed in the athlete's mind that this will be the least straightforward thing. Straightforward in the road, but also taking your example. If I now, as the athlete, envision what it will be like to ride that road and what it'll be like to be at the destination and what you know Big Sur will be like and how I will feel there. I've never done the road. I've never done this training, right? But the beauty of that road isn't the destination. The beauty of Highway 1 is the road, is the journey, is the ups and downs, is through the redwoods, is the beautiful views, is through when you're not on the coast and you're going through giant redwoods, is some of the, the vista points and so forth. But if you only focus on the outcome, Big Sur and what that will be like, you miss the experience of the 90 miles in between the two places. And it is in there that the growth happens, the experience grows, the learning happens, and that the the, the living, that's where you're living. Because if you just went to, to Big Sur and looked and looked around, that's all good and great. But it was all in the 90 miles to get there in this case, because 90 miles is, um, is about how far Big Sur is from here, <laughs> which is we're going further on day one. But that being said, again, we keep bringing this up, but it unfolds for us. And we keep trying to look further. I spoke to the athlete about that this morning. We can't go on a path and continue to try and jump ahead and look around the next corner to see what in that what is in that clearing or behind that mountain because otherwise we'll miss, miss a the opportunity of what's happening in the here and right now right 
on the learning and the growth and the training adaptation and so forth. But we're not ready for that yet. And if we're constantly spending our time curious about what's around the next corner versus what's happening here and now and building the foundation and the training and the adaptation here, getting there won't matter. It might be boring. It might be nothing. But constantly thinking of it and worrying about it and almost creating anxiety of what's next, that's not training. Again, that's trying to manipulate the path. That's really profound. Uh, that's, I think, a takeaway I'm going to to use. I've been looking for something I can keep in the back of my mind when I'm tired, so it has to be short and easy. And don't manipulate or don't try to manipulate the training. Um, show up, do the work, and, and just enjoy the ride, knowing that it's not going to be anything you anticipated. It's going to surprise you in some way. Yeah, and the path, and it's what we've talked about on this podcast with the path. It will unfold for you. If you're doing the training and while you're on the journey, something will unfold for you. And that was a lot of the theme of COVID last year or even athletes now with regards to, well, what events are there going to be and what should I do? And I'm not sure how to plan the season. If you're doing the training, something will present itself. It's a great example of the path unfolding for you. And, you know, for all that cross section of athletes that we coach, it's also interesting how the path unfolds for all of them so clearly that we get to see from our perspective. Athletes worrying about their next event and if, what, if they're doing the right training and so forth and so, many, so much energy going in that and boom, they get injured because they cut their knee on something and they need a bunch of stitches. And it's like, it's not a question of the universe stepping in. It's just almost saying, slow down. The path was going to unfold for you. You didn't have to think about this yet. So we put this bizarre injury in your way <laughs> so that you don't worry about what's next. Instead, just do the training and it will unfold for you. And a lot of people struggle with this of allowing the path to unfold for them because we grow up in a world where it's like, go get them, determine your destiny. And you can manipulate your future. And if you want it bad enough, you can. And if you believe it, you can achieve it. All that. There's nothing wrong with a little bit of that. Because again, we want the past experiences along with our will to continue to create hope. Absolutely. But we also don't want to continue to get in our own way and take all those side roads on that great highway that we talk about. You can get to Toledo a pretty simple way, Toledo, Ohio. Um, but you can also go a pretty long way, right? And again, as we are doing said experience, said training, living our lives, we are gaining information and therefore building a map in order to get to Toledo. And so often we start from San Francisco and think about how to get to Toledo and it can take years going the wrong ways to get to Toledo, or we can start the journey, gather information and build our map as we're going because we're getting inputs and growing and learning and get to Toledo a lot quicker, a lot more efficiently with a lot less worry, wasting a lot of energy and wasting a lot less time. 
I hope that resonates. That is something I wish I had learned during my ski career. Um, I was the picture of trying to manipulate everything. Um, in ski racing, it's maddening because every single turn is an opportunity to be better. And really all ski racing is, is just how good are you at turning? And obviously, you know, the best people in the world are just disgustingly good at it. And it's, um, it drives you crazy because every single time you make a turn, um, if it's not a great turn, you're just like, Ugh. and if I had only known what I know now, having worked with you a lot, I would have been, I know I I'm a hundred percent certain I would have been an infinitely better ski racer. I would have had a very different career, um, learning how to let go, let go of that turn, let go of that turn and, and stay focused on the next turn versus the finish line at the bottom of the hill. How did this turn affect the finish line at the bottom of the hill? Not for me to decide right now. I still have 25 turns to go. Right? I and mean, we had that in swimming. You you have a bad start off the blocks. You, and you you jump in. You feel all the people next to you in the lanes. Right? You know they're ahead of you. You can see it. You jump in. You're doing your underwater butterfly kick for a couple of strokes. And you can see behind, on the sides of your goggles that they're all ahead of you because you had a bad start. You're like, great. Now what? Well, I still have eight lengths. I still have 16 lengths. I still have four lengths to still do what I need to do, right? Mm. And if in the end of said event, of said ski run, of said swim, of said race, of said training session, of said anything, we go back and pull out just that one turn in your case or my start, but everything else was an improvement, was growth, was better, was faster. I was able to click back in. That's all progress. And we're back to that. We're continuing on the path to potential. I can, I can fix the start. You can fix that one turn, but can you put it all together? And that takes practice. And that takes awareness in the moment to quickly adjust and continue to think of potential, not outcome, potential. You mentioned something really interesting about you're, you're progressing and building and boom, you fall and you cut open your knee and you need stitches. Um, or you could be any injury. And I think it's a beautiful litmus test that ask yourself right now, if your training is going well, or if it's not going well, if I had an injury, would this completely derail my sense of self, my feelings about who I am as an athlete? If it does, then I would question, maybe there's some room for some internal reflection about how, what are you really standing on? What are your real principles regarding your approach to training? Yeah. I mean, it's a stoicism approach, right? With um, negative visualization and using what could go wrong. And if I didn't have this and a variety of inputs there uh, with being again, in stoicism, living in poverty versus living how we live and living, a, you know, visualizing that you're deathly ill or visualizing that you're, you know, injured, like you just said, and what your values would be then and who you would be then and growing from there. But it's, it, it, that's a dangerous game to play with regards to injury and what's important to you then, because, Again, we went pro in something other than sports, and this is still 
in many cases, a hobby and something that's fun. And we don't want to take ourselves too seriously with like constantly beating ourselves up with what our values are. Um, it's more the discovery of it and the discovery of who we are, again, using athletics as this little window into, wow, I never realized that's important to me. I wonder if that is in other areas of my life. Just simple questions like that, not in judgment, but more of enlightenment and awareness of like, huh, I didn't know that. I didn't know that I need to train every day in order to be happy, to do something every day and move in order to be happy. I can tell you so many athletes who struggle with rest days when I give them to them. And I, I know it's a hard word for me to say, uh, empathy, <clears throat> empathy. Um, Keep practicing. <laughs> um, and I, I, I try to be empathetic, right? Like, again, athlete training versus exercising. Trust me, I've been there, right? And the, 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 the part that I keep trying to highlight to my athletes is I've been doing this for 40 plus years in a variety of different sports. I get it. Trust me. I know what it's like to feel good and feel alive and the training's going well. And what now? Stop. I just had a great two hour run today and tomorrow I'm supposed to take off. I want to let this flow. I want to let this ride. Makes sense, right? But again, if we're keeping in mind our potential and what it is we're looking to achieve, then we also have to take all the ingredients of training and continue to stir that pot. Rest, recovery, sleep, strength, nutrition, and the training stimulus itself. And that pot is always stirring. Many recoveries with a rest day, many strength training, many workouts, along with the big stuff that we often do. But it's putting all those components together to, again, unleash potential. So how does intention play out when mental resources are drained, but the show must go on? So of course, some days you are able to get in the zone and be laser focused and executing the plan like a Zen monk, great. But other days or when you're tired or you're feeling more overwhelmed and it's almost the same workout you did the previous nine weeks and that laser focus isn't looking very likely on this particular day, you know, we all have those days. But you have good habits, right? So, so you pull on your training clothes and your shoes and you go out the door. And what does a win look like? How does someone reframe that so that an athlete can be proud with regard to still bringing intention into the context of that rough day on the back of that rough week? Yeah. Well, that's something we frequently discuss on the podcast, and that is what is it I can get out of this workout today? Sometimes we're in respond mode versus proactive intention mode. And as I'm warming up, as I'm out there sort of transitioning to the athlete self, sometimes it's not a phone booth we're changing in from Clark Kent to Superman. Sometimes, it, you know, it takes a little bit. It takes 20 minutes of running. It takes a few minutes of swimming. It takes 15 minutes of cycling to sort of exhale and clear the mind and go, okay, today was, I'm, I'm fried. And what is it I want to get out of today? That's the process 
I would hope the athlete goes through. They're not all going to be great days with an index card with everything written out and a perfect little quote and a mantra and an outcome and intervals. And sometimes the training doesn't even call for that. Sometimes the training is just an easy 45 minute run, right? And with that, as we're running, okay, what am I doing to ensure again that I'm better at the end of this workout than when I started? And if that is, in many cases, in the working world, and for many of us who are super busy, that is, well, I did it. I did the workout. I got it in. I didn't think earlier today I was going to get it in, but I got it in. I got in my 45-minute easy run. Or I did it easy. I did it light. I turned off my brain. I spent some time with myself. That, like that. I got a sweat on. I raised my heart rate. There are things we can extract from every workout, even if it's just the discipline, the grit, the resilience, which are different things, right? Your classic resilience is your ability to bounce back from some, you know, something, whether it's a trauma or some setback or things like that. Grit is your ability to continue to do something over a long period of time and usually something difficult over a long period of time right? And so I improved my grit today because despite not wanting to do this or being in the mood or being exhausted or being mentally fried, I showed up and I did it with intention anyway. What was the intention? Easy. I adjusted the intention today. That can happen too. We can adjust intention. It's if we have those weeks where life just gets in the way, we often have to shuffle workouts around. So I'll put my easy workout today and I'll come back tomorrow with the intention of that focused interval workout or that specific pool workout or that specific cycling workout where there's where I need to show up with intention. But today I'm going to plug in this easier workout because I just need it. And again, we went pro in something other than this sport. What do I need to do to continue to fall forward, right? We're going to stumble, but as we're stumbling, let's make sure it's forward. I really like that attitude of being able to adjust to the situation and be kind enough to yourself to give yourself that grace that, you know, this, this is not going to be a zone two day. This is going to be a zone one day. And it is going to feel like crap for every minute of that 45 in a worst case scenario. And that's okay. And yeah. I'll be better for it. And I'll appreciate the fact that I was able to put one foot in front of the other. Hold on. I sent an email this morning. You will notice this. You will notice in this training, you can only train where you are, not where you want to be. I feel me as the coach observing you, the athlete from afar, that you're going quite well, but also holding on too tight. Remember, being a professional athlete, not saying you are, means training relaxed, smooth, without pressure on ourselves. That's called confidence. We are professional because we know we can only do our best, have nothing to prove, confidence, and show up every day willing to do the work. The pro knows it's not about doing what I love. It's about loving what I do. And the important things there is loving, nurturing, caring for ourselves without judgment, accepting 
is a big part of self-love. You only get stronger by going through this process. Trust yourself and your ability to be the best athlete and best that you can do. Asking for more is unrealistic and only leaves you in judgment. That ties back to what we were saying earlier about how, you know, you can only do your potential and judging ourselves that we're not achieving the expectation is a very difficult game to play. We want to set high standards for ourselves. And again, that's further along the highway, but achieving set intervals, achieving set workout outcomes are just mile markers along the way that just show us we're on the right path. They don't validate us. They might validate the training that it's working, but they don't validate us and our who we are as athletes. They're just an input. And if we put a certain level of importance on it, then the pressure builds again and we lose the perspective of I'm doing my best. I'm putting forth the best athlete version of myself. And that's all I can ask. That was very emotionally sensitive of you, Chris. <laughs> well, as you know, that's how I talk to all my athletes. I mean, you see many of them. You see many of the emails um, and it's, it's important because like I've said before, I'm not a trainer. We're not trainers. We're coaches and coaching means guiding and providing feedback and input on the things that we feel you can do better. It's not as much as how you're doing it. Again, YouTube satisfies the how <laughs> and technique and all that, but guiding you to do your potential. How do I help you reach your highest potential? And that's coaching. I had another email the other day. This athlete was talking about the difficulty of the training currently with events once again being canceled or the perspective of it being canceled, right? That brings back the hope. It doesn't allow us to see the way. And if we don't have the ingredients of the way, along with will, we, it's hard to have the proper hope. And so I wrote him, yes, this will be hard and stay hard. If you look for an ideal that you are trying to achieve, Ironman finish line, or if you try to compare to other people, this is this that have those that have done Ironman or their fitness, this is about you and your potential and what you can achieve. Ironman Hamburg is just a step along the way of your growth. And these times, these tests of will and perseverance are part of the path for you. This life designed to make you more prepared for all and any future endeavors. When you complete Ironman, Hamburg, or any other one, you will not magically be transformed. You are already transformed from who you were last year, five years ago, five minutes ago. This is about you and you are in competition with your best self, achieving your potential, the highest athletic version of you and what that potential is. You do not know this yet, but you only find out by continuing to move forward. We all have a, ten 
we all have intentions of achievement we want to manifest in our lives that we want to bring forward into our 3D reality. But we need to surrender to the how and when that happens. We need to surrender to the path, our path. It will unfold as it should, as it was meant to. And we can try to manipulate it, force it, but we eventually realize we cannot direct our path. We are heading along our path either way. We can only allow it to happen. And when we surrender to it, it can actually unfold for us quicker, better, more pleasantly, with less suffering and difficulty. That was another email. And again, the purpose, as I was saying in today's intro with regards to this coaching, is to give you that in order for you then, the athlete, to go train with that tailwind, with that motivation, with that inspiration, with that, I have a coach standing by me willing to invest themselves in me like that. That's what I care about. Because if that gets you out there and keeps you motivated for the next eight weeks until the weather turns and you can have a perspective of what the events will be, that's that's coaching. Gosh, I, I so appreciate you for that. You're teaching me about that. I like to be nice. And that's often exactly the wrong thing to do with an athlete when the most beneficial thing that could happen to them is to have someone bump them out of their pattern, their rut and give them an opportunity to move in the direction of what they know they can do and what they want to do and what they're not doing. A question, what predictably do you see happen to athletes when they do not have the practice of setting an intention? Showing up, merely showing up versus showing up with intention. And how we spend our time and the benefits that can come with it if we're already spending our time doing it. And merely showing up is not enough. It's a waste of our time because again, we have limited training time. We have limited lifetime for this. And merely showing up means you're not going to get the results. You're only merely going to get the results. And you can go through the motions for sure. And for many, in the beginning, they improve. But at some point, they will be unfulfilled and they will move on. They will move on to a different sport, a different endeavor, and a different hedonistic pursuit because they're not showing up with intention and care and thought and intention. How deep can one go down the rabbit hole of practicing intention? That question I like. Because yes, there can be too much intention. That's an excellent question. And I've come across this numerous times with coaching and athletes around me. And I'll give you the easy example. Those athletes that spend all their time preparing, <laughs> but never actually executing, right? Or thinking it through and what they want to do and the gear they'll need and how to best set it up and, you know, and then freeze. Wait a moment. It's not perfect. I can't do the workout because now I've also set so many intentions that it created expectations for how the workout should go. 
So yes, you can overdo it. But that's where, again, where a good coaching plan comes hopefully into play. As you know, you and I have discussed this in your learning as a coach as well. Sometimes less information and just a nice simple workout is good because it allows the athlete to just turn the brain off and do an easy run or an easy spin and focus on one or two things. We all know the Charles Barkley syndrome. If you have too many things you're thinking of on your golf swing, you're going to end up swinging like, like Charles Barkley. So there are too many intentions for sure. But again, if we clarify what our single desired outcome is of this individual workout, we should be able to draw a line back into how this workout should go and what the benefits are and what the adaptation is we're looking for and some side benefits that might come along with it. But yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go much further than that. Every workout, every session should have only real one true desired outcome. And the other components are additional benefits, but the prescription, the RX should be pretty simple with regards to outcome and why we're doing this. And then how do I set up my environment, my situation, my plan as well as I can in order to ex execute and achieve desired outcome, achieve the adaptation. But you also know there's this paralysis, right? Of too much prep that you're, you're, then you freeze. And whether it's perfectionism or it's a type of overload, but too much preparation and thinking of it narrows the scope of the workout itself, which then, because the scope has narrowed, now you're creating expectations. If we can tie that back to brain science, leaving room for the rest of your brain, which is impossibly intelligent, to not be drowned out by the noise of your very limited prefrontal cortex. Yeah. I mean, the PFC getting involved in general should be limited because from an executive function standpoint and from a setting the parameters too tight doesn't allow the rest of the body to be heard. And that's another side effect of intentions and goals and outcomes that we're, we hold too tight is because we might not be listening to what the body is telling us. And it might be a niggle or an injury. It might be that we're running with bad form. It might be that we're too focused on the wattage meter on our bike and not seeing where we're riding. And it might be that we're too tight swimming and, you know, forcing our way through the water. There's so many side effects from that, that we also want to keep loose. And again, keep the principle of simple outcome of this workout, right? The appropriate adaptation, the appropriate stimulus we're looking for. You mentioned habits in the intro and elsewhere. And I think habits are extremely important. I don't think anyone listening to this would argue at this point. Atomic Habits has come out, um, Charles Duhigg's book, The Power of Habit. Everyone knows that you can't just willpower your way through training. You have to fall back on routine. 
And that is what will save you when you're not 100% and you're not perfectly rested and you are distracted. And, oh, no, wow, how did my shoes get on? And I'm out here running in the rain anyways. That's amazing. So, yes, um, my question is, what are the habits we want athletes focusing on if we're keeping this simple? And I'm going to ask it in four different tiers. Uh, what are the habits we want athletes focusing on for beginner athletes, intermediate athletes, advanced athletes, and then one I'm just curious about, elite athletes? Yeah. Well, if I understand your question correctly, it would be more about how do I ensure consistency? Because we want consistency in the endurance space versus the effort level. And if we're consistently showing up with workouts and training, we're going to get better and fitter and build endurance in order to then continue to have the adaptation that we're looking for in order to go longer, get fitter, so that our going easy is getting faster and so forth. And how do we set up habits um, in order to show up like that every day? And in many cases for the beginner, that's accountability right? But it's also that curiosity. But I think that curiosity applies for everybody. The first step towards truly achieving something that is on the outer boundaries of what you deem possible is curiosity. You have to be willing to be curious. It has to spark something within you that you are willing to put in the work to find out. And so that curiosity being there helps you therefore focus your attention onto something where your curiosity lies. Can I do this? Well, I need to focus my attention on something in order to see if I can do this. And if I focus my attention onto something in order to see if I can do this, that something is action. Because you're taking an action to see if you can do something, i.e. training, i.e. go for a run, I go for a bike ride, go for a swim. You're taking action to find out if you can achieve what you didn't think was achievable or what was on the outer boundary of achievable. And the beauty of focused action with attention is it becomes a habit. Because you do it enough, it turns into a repeatable action, which turns into a habit. But again, the importance is that there's a curiosity behind that, that continues to have you say, now that I'm doing this repetitively, this action, I'm continuously learning, growing as I'm doing the repetitive action. And it's sparking more curiosity to find out how much more I can do brings us back to the athlete's mindset. There is no difference between Michael Phelps preparing for a workout and a beginner preparing for a workout. We can take the same actions leading up to said point. He jumps into the pool and we jump into the pool, but preparing and being curious to what we're going to be capable of having intention with the outcome and that intention that he shows up with and the intention that you show up with are all the same actions. He has a curiosity as to what this workout will bring about and future workouts and where he is going along his path towards Olympic glory. For us, it's our curiosity of what we can do with this newfound fitness 
how it makes us feel, and what else we can do with this. Wow, I feel amazing. I didn't realize I can run a 10K in one piece. I wonder how far I can go. I wonder. That's the curiosity that sparks the interest in creating a habit. And as long as we have curiosity on any level, we're going to be able to focus our attention on something because we're curious. And when we focus our attention on something, we're going to take action, learning, training, other aspects to then repetitively be curious about the next action and habits. That's how I like to think of it because many actions in a row being the same curious mind that is looking to do the action will continue to just show you that you're fine and create the habit. I like where you went with that answer. I had been thinking on my own end, you know, for a beginner, you said curiosity, such a better answer than mine, which was just get out the door every, every single time. Don't get me wrong. There is a big component of that. Um, Emily and I call it GSD. Get done. Just get done, right? And keeping it that simple of talk to me after you get it done. But while we're here talking about it and thinking about it and wondering about it and should I, would I, could I? No, it's about We'll download it and figure it out after. But for now, I'm out the door. I'm getting it done, right? And there's yep. a difference there. That's not just showing up, but that's, all right, I'm going to get it done and then analyze, think it through, download after. But I don't get to have an opinion until I get it done. That's really hard for a lot of beginner athletes that you work yes. with to swallow, but it all starts with that curiosity. Even the beginners, they're working with us. They come across us because they're curious about something. And I believe they're curious about potential. They have something left unanswered or they're curious about what is around that next turn of endurance, of athleticism, of where they are right now. Even again, if you're running your first 5K, it's endurance when you're going to a 10K. That seems daunting. That seems like a big growth that's 100% increase. I mean, how, how many of us are increasing our next event by 100%? That's pretty hard to do. But so again, the formula, for lack of a better term, remains the same. How What you're doing in the training, of course, is different but how you approach it with intention and preparedness and desired outcomes and being an athlete, athlete's mindset, all comes into play the exact same way. Looking at the progression of that athlete to, this is such an arbitrary designation because it doesn't exist, but intermediate, you know, where the workouts start getting more intricate and they start getting exposed to workouts they've never done before. And mm -hmm. I think that's a beautiful thing to see where athletes um, comment, wow, I, um, I thought this workout was going to be hell. It was not. And also I learned this amazing 
thing. It's like uh, going to dance practice and learning a brand new arrangement. And it's just so uh, fun to, to experience that with them. As athletes get more advanced, it would be engineering their life around recovery so that they can have a greater work capacity so that they can recover from previous work and talk about a knock-on effect that makes everything better in your life when you're trying to figure out how to get more nutrients and get more sleep and have less stress present in your normal working life so that the ceiling that you've reached of 40 miles a week can become 50. And elite, I know you've spent a lot more time than, well, most people at the elite level. Uh, Is it purely a mental game at that point? In my opinion, yes. I mean, there's a work ethic that people would argue around, but it the top 2 or 3% of the world is, in my opinion, is a mental game. And it's no longer a question of habits. They've already gotten there with plenty good habits to get to an elite level. But it's more a question of, like you said, recovery. But again, as we gain in fitness and as we gain in knowledge, we need less energy to recover, right? We recover better because the training saps us less. It's become more familiar for the body. It knows how to optimize itself in order to recover like it was recovering before because it's constantly learning and growing and figuring itself out, optimizing itself. Whether we with the mind want to get involved or not, it is a pretty smart learning machine itself, the physiology of it. And so the higher the threshold becomes of the level of athlete, the more and more it is about how is this thing between my shoulders supporting what I've built in my body. And it can either be there as an incredible tool, or it can be there as an obstacle. And those are the two ends of the spectrum. But I used to think from an ex- from a standpoint of the times I went down to uh, Buds and watched new SEALs uh, training for or getting through the first two hell weeks of Buds and working with a few people down in Coronado and learning how how is it that this athlete holding up the log there and that athlete holding up the leg. They have the same desire to achieve. They have the same physical ability. Sure, one might be bigger than the other. But again, their mind for both of them is strong enough to want to achieve the same outcome. They have worked for this point to be in Bud's week two to on their way to becoming SEALs for years. Oftentimes, this is what they've dreamed about. And similar to Olympic athletes, they've been working towards this their entire lives. But the difference between those two, they can be exactly the same physically. They can be the same in their entire approach to everything they're doing, but it's all in the head, right? And in the past, I would think, well, then it's clearly mind over body and this guy wants it more. No, I've learned over the years of coaching that it's also about our past experiences. 
and the stories and our experiences that created in our mind that help us assist us with our willpower. And without those stories, those are like um, secret weapons or magic pills that make our willpower and our motivation even stronger because it creates the narrative of your deeper why. We're back to the, if you are armed with that, again, I can overcome anything if my deeper why is centered in a strong, powerful way, right? You can't take away my hope because that deeper why allows me to have a super weapon. And sure, I've talked many a times, and I still to this day use this with regards to potential. And that is if I've took said world-class elite competitor, put their head on your body, what would they pull out of your body, right? And the important thing there is that's just a question of potential. But then the mindset aspect and the mental aspect comes that person's experiences and past lessons and growth is within that mind that they put on your body. And they're just pulling out of your body with their magic pill and superpowers, that extra one or 2% on top of that. And so that might be a confusing way to describe that ability wise, a lot of athletes and us are the same. If you look at physique or ability to hold a running pace or ability to push a wattage or the ability to swim a certain speed at that level, at the highest level. But then what you need is those powerful past experiences, positive past experiences, right? To be positive present, you need present. You need positive past experiences, the narrative that allows you to be stronger in the now, to achieve greater things in these top echelon of two, three, four, five minute events, or that day, that given date for you to have a positive present, you need past experiences and narrative that is extra rocket fuel for your willpower. Another reason to not take the uh, straight and narrow path. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, that's why all of this along our journey becomes so impactful for future endeavors because these trials and tribulations and learnings and the zigzag of the road and the ups and downs of the path create that narrative. I overcame in the past, therefore I can overcome now. And I believe armed with that, I've overcome that in the past. I surely can overcome more in the future, right? Exciting and compelling future in order to create a positive present as well. You have to have that hope, that belief. So I received this email from Sean a couple days ago, and it was about the subject line was fancy a challenge, Chris. So at first I thought it was somebody who was looking for coaching. Then it turned into somebody looking for a consult. Then it turned into someone who just needs help and can't really afford coaching or a one-time consult fee. So I said to him, listen, I am a sucker 
for wanting to help people. And why don't you send me a question via the podcast and I will discuss it on there. And that's the best I can do. And so here's that email. I'm a regular listener of the Weekly Word. I've been accepted to participate in Ultraman Australia, which is in 11 weeks. Do you feel like performing a miracle and helping me get over the finish line? My goal is to finish as strong as I can. Next year, I'll race the shit out of it. A little bit about me. I'm 39, father of two special children and husband to a very lovely, understanding, supportive wife. Don't we all say that? <laughs> I'm a sales rep, so I do a lot of driving and I've been plant-based for three years. I've also signed up for four events this year, Super Sprint Triathlon, just raced that this past Sunday. So now he's got 10 weeks. 10K military obstacle course race beginning of March. Um, before I even go any further into this email, Sean, get rid of that race. There's That has nothing to do with where you're looking to go. And um, we'll need that weekend. You'll need that weekend. I'm not saying we'll need that one. A 100-kilometer mountain bike race beginning of May. And then Ultraman Australia, middle of May. So two weeks after the 100-kilometer mountain bike race, which I can already say that better just be going through the motions versus pushing too hard, even if you've built up the fitness, because it'll take you two weeks to recover from a good 100K mountain bike race. Those things are not easy. Now, it is unusual for me to do so many events, So as it is normally one or two short type of events each year, but the reason for all of these challenges is, and that this is going to sound weird, is the need for me to grieve. Sadly, I lost my mom to COVID, and living in another country, I was unable to be with her at the end and say goodbye, or be with my family through the pain. I know there are millions of people around the world in this situation, so my heart goes out to them. Now, what is going to sound even weirder is I discovered that when I put myself in the deepest hole, I can, an ultra-endurance activity, my brain allows me to feel everything I need to feel, process what I have to process, and deal with all my issues so that I'm able to move on, and in this case, it's grieving my mom. I figured this out when ultra-endurance activities helped me deal with my depression related to another very sad family situation. After overcoming my depression three years ago, my wife and I made a commitment to look after ourselves so that we are able to look after our very special kids. I believe those were your words. Look after yourself to be, be able to look after others. You have to love yourself in order to love others. So that means we actively budget in things for our well-being, but certain nice-to-haves we have to do without. In my case, that's coaching or professional advice. I have to ask myself with every purchase or activity, do I need this or would the money be better spent on therapy for my kids? I literally have to ask myself this with everything, even when or if buying new running shoes, I don't have the best stuff, but I don't need to, nor do I think it makes a difference to what I get out of completing or participating. I already shared my training. He did. Um, he did the super sprint last weekend. Wanted to mention I had a stress fracture in February of 2020, a year ago, and didn't want know it was a stress fracture until a scan in December of 2020. Oops. I still did a long-distance triathlon and 50K run on it because it didn't seem like an issue, which is because I did a boatload of strength work 
on the ankle, so the pain wasn't as bad. I took eight weeks off of running from the 1st of December, and when I started again on the 1st of February, so 26 days ago, I still had discomfort, so I ran only a total of 10K on the treadmill before the super sprint. Can we make the following assumptions to contextualize my questions? I'm fit enough to complete each part of the Ultraman in isolation. I.e., if you asked me to do each session tomorrow, swim 10K and bike 140K, I could do it, or cycle 270K in a session. This would be much harder for me, but I could do it, just about. Or run a double marathon. I can run this on trail, but on concrete, I'm going to have to have a I'm going to have a problem after 50K. Two, right now I couldn't do them all back to back or over three days. (laughs) Three, nutrition, hydration, and sleep are my strengths. How do we know that? (laughs) That that I'm not willing to say. (laughs) So, David, how about you ask the questions? Which, hold on, before we dive into that, the nutrition, hydration, and sleep is has the potential for being the biggest blind spot of this entire 10 and a half week journey. So as making those assumptions after 25 years of coaching this, I never make that assumption. And it is remarkable to me how many athletes, even at the most elite level, still screw this up. I mean, doing an Ironman on 52 gels is crazy to me. And therefore, there's always something to be learned, grown, and um, applied from that because it's just an endless opportunity, but also an endless blind spot. It can derail all the training you did for the last 10 weeks into nothing, sitting on the side of the road. I had the exact same thought around nutrition, specifically being plant-based for three years, that yes, you would want to go through all the check boxes that you may or may not be acutely aware of, that you are supplementing protein. Um, If you have the world's most perfect command of your plant-based diet, then maybe you don't need to, but otherwise you better be supplementing protein. That is just math. Well, exactly. Math on getting in enough and B, that you have weekly blood testing to see that the plant-based nutrients you're getting are enough based off of you, 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 the individual, you, the N1, because that is the biggest question plant-based endurance athletes run into is it looks good on paper. It feels pretty good here in the beginning, but am I getting enough to support the demands of ultra endurance? And many, 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 many an ultra endurance athlete has been derailed by that assumption because the stress fractures, hello, um, and the sicknesses are abundant. And those that do it at the highest level also break. And we see it in pro sports. We see it with those who are in game changers. We see it with across the board in plant-based athletes. Not saying it can't be done, but it requires a diligence and a financial commitment (laughs) that many athletes don't have with weekly blood testing or at least multiple times a month to ensure that they're not depleting themselves into a place that what they think is training is actually just chronic fatigue and broken down. Depleted nutritionally, hormonally, adrenally, everything. 
Okay, so now <laughs> setting that up, <laughs> enjoy your questions. So yeah, definitely uh, study up on nutrition in addition to training. So um, yeah. uh, here are my questions. How do I transition from all my Z4 and Z5 sessions from the super sprint to Z2 to build endurance and stamina, or is this even the right approach? A classic example of you have a little Honda Civic engine and you need it to be bigger diesel engine that can go forever, right? And so you can rev really hot in Z4, but you feel terrible and putter out like in a manual car that you kept it in fourth gear, you, 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 you get stuck. So in order to stay healthy, in order to build endurance, in order to build resilience of the muscles and the joints and the bones for what it is in three days, it will require a ton of zone two work, right? Building up those hours. That's all we care about right now. This is about finishing. And finishing is going to be your ability to know that you can do the 10K swim and 140 kilometer bike, somewhat recover reasonably that it didn't take that much out of you or not enough out of you that you can't wake up the next day and do your 267 kilometer bike, right? And you don't care how long that 10K, 140K takes on day one. You care more about fueling and hydrating and fueling with real food and you know, as if you're going easy enough to continuously be eating basically, because you're preparing for the next day while you're still on the bike on day one, right? This, I will say on a side note, Ultraman is one of the fa my favorite events to coach for. It is because it requires so many different things. It's a stage race, but it's different sports. It's just awesome. And the biggest component there is the ability to stick away day one to get to day two and for day two to still be absorbed well enough that it didn't tax you, that you can actually execute day three. And yes, a ton of zone two work, but, and it doesn't even need to be zone two work. It can just be a ton of very, very easy work. Zone two just sets the parameters to ensure that it's easy enough. Your ability to swim a 10K easy enough to then get on a bike and do 140K easy enough within the time parameters successfully is going to be the challenge because it has to be easy enough because you're not going to build the fitness in 10 weeks in order for you then to wake up the next day and still complete within the time parameters and easy enough 267 kilometer bike to finish that recover easy enough in order to run a double marathon. Yeah, I wouldn't see zone four. I wouldn't see zone three. I would err on the side of too easy and maximum training time. Yeah, if you do any speed work, it's strides and not a ton of yeah. them at that. And that'll yeah. keep up your connection to muscle power and economy. Okay, next question. Mm -hmm. What metric should I be focused on to guide my training? I.e., should I be focused on heart rate per session or total hours per week? Both. Well, um, this is your classic Ultraman question. And that is, you are thinking about how am I creating my fitness for the event? Horses for courses, not general fitness. And so it becomes important to understand that you're getting ready for a swim, bike, 
sleep, recover, eat, bike, eat, recover, sleep, run, be done. <laughs> and so therefore, your training ideally is based around those parameters. Mondays, I swim and bike. Tuesdays, I bike. Wednesday, I run. Thursday, I do something else, maybe some strength. Friday, I swim and run, bike. Saturday, I bike. Sunday, I run. I continuously stay in that sort of circle uh, because that's the event, right? So there, I just got seven days of training in and I did the format of Ultraman twice, two times through the cycle. Make sense? Makes perfect sense. I, I love the simplicity of it. It, it. I mean, that's where it starts. So yeah, you can build up your training for a bunch of simulations, but that's all good and great. He doesn't have enough time for that. It's more a question of, all right, continuously understanding and learning fast how to, what happens after I swim and bike on Monday, how I feel on Tuesday and how I feel on Wednesday. Let me recover, do some strength work or maybe some stretching or yoga or other work mm -hmm. or body weight or you know, activation, and then do it again. Sat Friday, longer swim, longer bike. Saturday, longer bike. Sunday, longer run. Perfect. I got nine more times to do that. That's actually great. <laughs> Next, should all my sessions for each discipline be Z2 or should I be incorporating drills and higher intensity sessions? If yes to adding intensity sessions, how often should they be included with Z2 sessions? I think we already answered that. We already answered that. And I have a feeling because it's so difficult for many athletes to strictly stay with zone two, there will be moments and enough time anyway where we're out of zone two whether that's a climb whether that's a short this or a buddy riding with us and we rode a little bit too hard or i mean there's constantly scenarios where we are out of the zone and if that's the only time it comes up good this next question is really i'm curious to hear what kind of run sessions or strength workouts should i do for my ankle assuming it's at 90 percent, and to make running on concrete bearable Run on concrete. No, um, I mean, part of that is yes, run on concrete, but I would not be too much on trails. If anything, I would ensure that the trails are hard packed dirt, forest paths as they are often known, for example, in Europe. But I would ensure that the, the, the surface is level and less taxing on the side to side of the ankle. And I'm just doing the land lever lift part of the running motion on a good platform. I mean, much more than that, um, what kind of run sessions or strength workouts should I do for the ankle, assuming it's 90%? Well, I sent those to you yesterday, David. <laughs> yeah, we're going to post those on Instagram in the next week or so. Um, so you keep a lookout for a, a lunge with calf raise sort of variation. But... Yeah, you're going to be looking at, um, you know, a combination of um, unilateral uh, calf raises. You're not going to go so hard that you actually have delayed onset muscle soreness because then you're going to be in a, in a pickle. Uh, but you want to get blood flow and muscle activation going to calves. You want to jump rope. <laughs> Thank you, Chris. Um, I would skip the box jumps because... Um, yeah, it's, well, for obvious reasons, it's a bit too much load right now. 
Yeah, we're not looking for strength gains. We're looking to use the strength we've built. But also, yeah, like you said, jump rope can work magic there. Yes, that's a good you one. You can do it on a proper surface. Do a couple thousand. Yeah, a couple thousand. And then go run on a, uh, uh, on a good surface or from that fatigue of the jump rope because you just basically activated the ankle for a couple thousand times. And now go run an hour and a half. Oh, and soft, comfy shoes. Mix them up you, for sure. Uh, soft, comfy shoes, and then a couple shoe, a couple times in a different pair of shoes, um, yeah. just so that. Um, well, we he already said the gear. He doesn't have very good gear, so all his shoes are going to be probably pretty beat up. Hundred km mountain bike race should take about four and a half hours to support my training. Well, that's great. That's on a Saturday. Do the hundred. Okay, mountain bike race, come back and ride your bike another three hours. Um, and that'll be your Saturday workout. But I would for sure plan to do three or four hours post the intensity of the mountain bike race. I would not prepare for it. I would just do it with the engine you've built. And then after, continue to keep riding. Spin it out, flat roads, 90s cadence, flush out the legs, but build endurance while you're doing it because you fatigue yourself and crushed the anaerobic energy reserves in that mountain bike race. Now you're purely aerobic, stimulating that energy system. Three, four hours after that, you've had a good day. That's a great training day. Next question is basically about specific strength workouts again, but this time swim, bike, run. Chris, anything? I mean, overall, again, we only have 10 and a half weeks of which the last week is going to be rest. So we have nine and a half weeks you know, as I already went through the sample schedule of those six days, the seventh day, no strength. Just use the engine you have and maximize the limited time you have to actually get ready for the event versus adding stuff. Um, again, if, if there's an interest to do this, then it has to come at a sacrifice of the other things. And if we're giving up the beach bod for a few weeks, that's fine. But again, if you want to finish an Ultraman in nine and a half weeks, you know, focus on that. Like I said, body weight, strength, and some activation on the day on that Thursday, fine. Reconnect with your body. It's something I like to do a lot is just put the mat out and then just lay there and stretch and move. And I don't really stretch, but just move and hit some tight spots and activate and do some core, nothing crazy, 20, 30 minutes. And just like after that, I feel like, all right, I connected with every part of my body briefly, checked in with it, all still firing. I was able to fire it independently and now I'm done. That's it. I'm extremely jealous that you don't stretch much. If I don't stretch every day, then within two days of that, I'm hip impinging pretty hard. <laughs> so yeah, to each their own. His next question was about, um, should he do two sessions per day or brick sessions? I think we answered that, right? And you would stick to one longer effort to simulate what you're going to be doing. Is that correct, Chris? Yeah. And it's, again, it's not Ironman. It's not a triathlon. It's Ultraman. There is no brick. There's no such thing as a brick. Brick means bike run. That's where brick comes from. So there is no bike run. And there's 
a swim to bike, but it's after a 10K swim and you're getting on the bike for the rest of your day. You take your time in that. You almost treat it as two separate events. There's no rush. There's no hurry. You have plenty of time and 140 kilometers to activate and gradually find your cycling legs. You're not going hard enough to really practice a transition or need to activate the muscles that focused many of my Ultraman athletes. I just have them swim one day, bike one day, run one day. That's it. They'll figure out how to bike off of a 10K swim because it, it's not that difficult because, again, you're not in a rush. It's not like I'm losing time now because it's taking me a while to activate my cycling legs after the swim. No, no, this is Ultraman. you got all day. Like, focus the training, right? And regarding the two sessions a day, like, if you can get in the volume like that, great. Ride three hours in the morning, ride another three hours in the afternoon. Run two hours in the morning, run another two hours in the afternoon. You can do two a days, you know, swim two hours in the morning, bike four in the afternoon. That's fine on the weekends. But again, not knowing how much time you have available, is this about a focused approach of what am I doing today in order to ensure that I have a, the best possible outcome in nine weeks from now? And that might be, I have an opportunity to swim today. So I'm going to focus on my swimming, you know, swimming 10 K it's no joke. That's a, that's a long swim. Next question is basically asking whether he should vary the intensity from week to week or keep it consistent. Um, I would, yeah, no, that's the same thing we were saying earlier. Zone two, keep it consistent. Now I would throw in again, a simulation weekend if you can. And that is Friday, do a 5k swim and a 70k bike or an 80k bike or a 90k bike. And you might be switching them, um, meaning not switching, gapping them a bit because let's say you have to work or other responsibilities. So you swim your five or six K in the morning, which will take you two hours. You go on with your day. And then that afternoon you bike three, four hours. I mean, you don't do this every weekend, but I'm saying a simulation weekend where you put this afternoon aside, you get in your bike. And then the next day you ride, you know, Instead of 267, you ride 190 or 200K or, you know, at least 180K. And then you wake up the next day and you do a 30K run. You know? uh, to just get a sense of, all right, I had a big endurance week. I pushed a bigger week into this week. And how I recover from that, I'll see next week and how much it took out of me, but it also gives you so much knowledge in doing the simulation and preparing your own training for the next few weeks ahead. We learn so much in simulations to continue to narrow the road, the highway, um, into a tighter lane on specifically the work we need to do versus just taking the full canvas and doing everything like you know, strength and speed and drills and things. Like. When would you place that simulation week? Uh, how many weeks prior to his event? Well, we only have 10, so smack dab in the middle. Okay. We got to build the fitness to at least just get in there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Great. Uh, anything else? His last question is, is there anything else that we haven't mentioned already? Keep it simple. Like I said, stick to the format of the event. It's not a triathlon. It's Ultraman. It's a different format. It's individual events. It's a stage race, stage event. And, you know, so maximize it like that. I can't reiterate that for enough people. 
in their Ultraman journey. Uh, thanks again for helping me with this. I'm super stoked to have made contact with you. So, yeah. Yeah, Sean. So, you know, we did give you some grief here, but uh, it's because we think you can take it. And, you know, we wish you the best in this and let us know how you do. That's the nice David coming through. You guys heard in the opening, I'm going to challenge every single one of you and push you to be focused in your journey towards your potential. And while Sean's story might be a story for him, and but it's not an excuse. And it's time to, you know, get to work. And yes, there is a belief of mine that we all can do certain things like an Ultraman in 10 weeks. But if we're going to do it, we got to like literally batten down the hatches now and completely shift everything with a mindset towards the athlete I'd like to be at the middle of May. Cool. That was nice, David, coming out. I try to be nice, Chris. Uh, well, granted, I was a pretty hard person for most of my life, so <laughs> making an effort. All right, let's talk about swimming, intervals versus finish time. So I come across this constantly, and I want to make sure that those of you listening – because I know many of my athletes don't even listen to this. <laughs> Understand the difference between intervals and send-off and touch time. So when you're swimming or you're at the track, right? And a lot of swimming and track work is very similar. For example, if your interval at the track for a 400 is two minutes, that means you go every two minutes. doesn't mean you are hit the wall or hit the 400 point at two minutes. It means you roll into the 400 one lap of the track at let's say 136 or 140. And then you have four 20 seconds rest before two minutes and you go on the two minutes. That's the interval, right? Two minutes is the interval. Your time is the 136. That's your, that's what your repeats are. So in swimming, if the interval is 130 or if the interval is two minutes, you're touching the wall at, let's say, 136 for the 100, and you have 24 seconds rest. So fastest possible send-off or fastest possible interval is I if I swim my 100 as best as I can and I swim a 132, my fastest possible send-off for a few of them is probably 140. It gives me eight seconds rest before I have to go again. So it's not rest interval, it's send-off. And many athletes confuse this in their training. When the interval says go on two minutes or on 130 interval or send-off 130, that means that's the send-off. You have to get in there before 1.30 in order to get some rest. But does it make sense? Okay, yeah, it makes good. perfect sense. You, you show up, you rest, and then when the time comes around, then you go. So, But also, let's say if you have 10 400s on the two minutes, that doesn't mean you start the first one at 1.22, and then the next six are like 1.53 because you blew yourself off on the first one. You, you see the two-minute send-off, and you go, okay, what's the purpose here? What's the description of the interval? Okay, therefore, clearly he wants me, based off the description of the interval, to do these at about 1.32 so that I get 20-ish seconds rest. 
Um, so there's a balance in there that you pace it and uh, do the intervals and the repeats properly. Well, I hope you enjoyed that podcast. Not only the discussion around intention, but the back and forth with David on some other topics that revolve around intention. I just want to remind you all of the events coming up this year for AIMP. I'm leaving on the Coast Ride next week, so it's a little late to sign up for that one, the California Coast Ride. But we have a busy schedule at the AIMP Triathlon Training Camp in Healdsburg in April. That's April 22nd through the 25th. And you might think, well, triathlon, we also have trail runners. We also have open water swimmers coming to that event, mountain bikers who are exclusive mountain bikers, because again, this is about the education. It's about the nutrition work. It's about the mindset work. It's about some training. It's about some input with swimming technique, with cycling technique, with running technique. And up there in Healdsburg and vicinity is an amazing place to train. We'll do some open water swimming in Lake Sonoma. We'll do some pool swimming in Calistoga, epic locations that you might have heard of throw into that beautiful cycling in Napa Valley and Sonoma County. And then finally, trail running up there is spectacular. A famous Lake Sonoma race is up there, the 50 miler, which will run on that course. Challenging, but again, beautiful and easy on the eyes running next to beautiful Lake Sonoma and the vineyards. So overall, a fun four or five days of training. We'll be doing some testing, all that. So plenty of value, plenty of takeaways for you to return home as we head into May at that point, armed and ready to train your potential, your best potential going into the summer of 2021 and the fall of 2021. I mean, there's so many great events coming together out there. I have an athlete. Listen to this one. I have an athlete who's getting ready for Boston, New York, and London in an epic seven-day window. So doing London, I think, the week before on a Sunday, then flying to New York to do New York on a Saturday, the following Saturday, and then doing Boston the next day, Sunday. Talk about getting the grand slam of running done might even be Berlin. I'm not sure if I'm getting London and Berlin mixed up right now, but it's three of the four Grand Slam marathon events in one seven-day window. Amazing. That'll be it for this episode 157 of the Weekly Word Podcast. Please leave a review of this podcast. It helps others find this podcast, find this conversation about ultra endurance, and it's helpful to me as well. If you know anyone who's on or aspiring towards the ultra endurance path, please tell them about the podcast. And don't forget about the newsletter. Every week I send out, yes, every week lately, I've been setting out a shorter blog post discussing some thoughts, some deeper insights, some mental performance aspects that lie near and dear to my heart, what I'm currently sort of working through in my head and based off the feedback and the input and the things I'm observing in my athletes. You can sign up for that newsletter at the AIMP Coaching website, aimcoaching.com. 
And as always, if you have an idea on how to make this podcast more beneficial to you as you progress through your own ultra endurance journey and aim to live this lifestyle while managing work and family, because, you know, we all went pro in something other than this, please let me know. You can just shoot me an email simply by going to aimcoaching.com or send me chris at aimcoaching.com. Thank you sincerely for listening. It's been quite amazing to see how this podcast has grown and who has been listening. All because we care as a community about the endurance athlete within all of us. In closing, if you take anything from the Weekly Word podcast, may it be that you take the athlete's mindset with you. Anyone can be an athlete. It has nothing to do with skill or talent. It merely requires a focus and desire to approach every day with the discipline and resilience to be any athlete you are looking to be. Reaching Endurance Potential.